0: week, so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 6. I have a question for you as you're turning there. How many of you have made it to this point in your life? I know that we have a number of different life stages represented here in this room, but how many of you have made it to this point in your life, but have never worried one time? Raise your hand. Anyone? No? No? Okay, well, that means that this passage is very relevant to every single one of us this morning because it is about worry. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dig into this passage together. Our Father, we thank you that you give us tools and resources um, to help us to not worry, Lord. It is hard to not worry because we live in a world that has these circumstances and has so many different things that go against what our plans would be. And Lord, so oftentimes we feel out of control but Lord, I pray that today that you will give us clarity, not only on why we shouldn't worry, but how we should get rid of the worry in our lives so that we can follow you more faithfully. So we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So I invite you to follow along in your Bibles. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, where Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, if you were paying attention at all as I read this, I have a feeling that the main point that Jesus is trying to drive home is probably pretty obvious to each one of us. The main point, do not worry. Do not worry. Jesus, uh, just to make sure we got it, he repeats it three different times, and it's in the form of a command. Do not worry. Now, it's important to recognize that worry is a universal human experience. Every single person who's ever lived has experienced worry in their lives. But just because worry is a universal human experience does not mean that worry is good or that it is right. It does not mean that worry is godly. And here in this passage, Jesus gives us four reasons for why we should not worry. And the first reason is that worry skews our vision. Worry skews our vision. I'm going to use a couple of visual aids here this morning. First of all, this box can serve for us as a metaphor for our worries. Imagine, if you will, that this box that literally says worries represents all the different worries that we have in our lives. Maybe it's relationships that we have, our job, our finances, our health. Maybe it's decisions that our kids are making. Maybe it's, are people really going to like me? Um, Any number of different worries. But this box this morning is going to represent for us the worries that we have in our lives. Now, I want you to think for a minute about what happens when we worry about something. When we worry about something, that thing that we are worried about tends to dominate our thinking and so that our mind is naturally drawn to whatever it is that we are worried about. Now, we may have some activities at times that give us a temporary respite from that worry, so we're able to focus on some other things. But any time our mind is free, it incessantly goes back to those things that we are worried about. And what ends up happening then is that this worry becomes kind of this black cloud that's hanging over us all the time or it becomes a heavy weight that burdens our shoulders. And what happens in the process is that it skews our perspective of what is really most valuable and really most important in our lives. Because as we are focused on these worries, our eyes get taken off of God and off of his eternal treasure and off of what is most ultimately important and gets focused on the worries which the vast majority of the time, the things that we tend to worry about are things that are more on the earthly perspective than the heavenly perspective. So we see that worry skews our vision. Now look with me to verse 25. Jesus talks about this. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Now, back in the first century, these basic necessities of, of food and water and clothing, they were things that people would worry about all the time. Now, today in, in 21st century America, the majority of us who live in, you know, middle-class America don't worry that much about where we're going to get our food or clothing or, or water. But back then, it was a major concern because the vast majority of the population in the Roman Empire lived in, in, in significant poverty, They would literally live day-to-day, paycheck-to-paycheck. Any day they worked, they would get paid, but their pay was so meager that if they had a day in which they did not work because they were sick or because they couldn't find work, odds are good their family would then go hungry because they didn't make enough in order to store anything up. They would make enough to buy food for that day. But again, if they didn't work, they wouldn't have food. So worry about food or, or clean water or even clothing was quite common back in that day. But what ends up happening, if we focus on those types of worries, which there's nothing wrong with food, there's nothing wrong with clothing, there's nothing wrong with water, those, those are good and even necessary things. The problem becomes when they are elevated to more of an ultimate status, when they're put up on a pedestal in our lives, because then our, our perspective gets skewed. And that's why Jesus says, Is not life more than food or the body more than than clothes. There's something more than just what's going on here on this earth. There's something more than what we're oftentimes tempted to devote our worries to. But what happens when we get devoted uh, to our worries is that we lose sight of that something more that God offers. And that something more, as we looked at last week, is God himself and the heavenly treasures that can never be taken away from us. But when we focus on the worries, we, we, our attention is all there rather than on God And on the glory that he offers us in the eternal treasures. So worry, it really does skew our vision. The second reason why we shouldn't worry is that worry is useless. He says in verse 27, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? It's it's a rhetorical question. The answer is obviously no. No. I mean, there are certain things we could do to make us healthier that could, in some sense, prolong our lives um, in terms of eating better, exercising more, reducing stress, stuff like that. But at the same time, God, in a sovereign plan, he knows when our final breath is going to come on this earth. And there is nothing that we can do, particularly in terms of worrying, that is going to extend our life even by one hour. Worrying is incredibly unproductive. Imagine with me, that the Packers were in the Super Bowl this afternoon. I know that many of us would wish that that was the case. It's not. But imagine that they were. There would probably be quite a bit of fretting and worrying about that game, especially if the Packers got off to a bad start in the game. Now, if you were watching the game and the Packers were in the Super Bowl, would your worry and fretting have any impact at all on the game? No, not at all. I mean, it's common sense. We know that that our worrying is not going to affect the course of that game. Yet still we worry about so many other things in our lives. But we have to recognize worry is not going to save our job. Worry is not going to help pay the bills. Worry is not going to make us pregnant. Or make us unpregnant if we have an unwanted pregnancy. Worry is not going to make us more popular in the eyes of other people. Worry is not going to help a student miraculously get a better grade in their math class. Worry is incredibly unproductive. And not only is it unproductive, it's actually very unhealthy. All you have to do is just go to a website like WebMD, type in worry, to see all the the problems that come from worrying. Because worrying causes stress. And worry and stress put together cause all kinds of negative issues. Whether things like insomnia or headaches or heart problems or immune deficiencies. Uh, Worry can, can negatively affect our relationships because worry and stress make us more irritable, make us more needy, make us more pessimistic. Worry can lead us to forms of escapism that aren't healthy at all, things like overeating or smoking or abuse of alcohol and drugs. Worry, I mean, not only is it useless, it can lead us in a lot of really negative directions. It also consumes a lot of valuable emotional energy that could much better be used somewhere else. Now, if if I wanted to go on, which I will for one more little thing, Worry also can lead to a sense of paralysis, where we get so focused on our worries that it prevents us from really taking positive action steps that could help rectify the issue and resolve it. So worry, I mean, not only it it skews our vision, it's useless, it's worthless, it it really leads us in in really unhealthy directions. On top of this, Jesus is kind of drilling down deeper and deeper here. He says that worry is worldly. Worry is worldly. Look with me to verses 31 and 32. Jesus says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans ran after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So Jesus says, You know what? The pagans ran after all these other things. And then when, when these things don't work out the way they want them to, they worry. And the reason is that, that if your life doesn't have anything greater than yourself and greater than this material world, then you're putting your sense of identity and meaning and security in earthly things. And when those things are threatened, well, what do you do? You worry. But Jesus, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is making a very clear case that Christians are to live very distinctive lifestyles. And one of the ways that the Christian's lifestyles are to be distinctive is in how we respond to troublesome situations. For instance, if there's a rumor going through your office that layoffs are impending, the Christian's response should be different than that of the non-Christian. If there's a health scare, if the doctor calls you back in for more medical tests, the way the Christian should respond is distinctive from how non-Christians respond. This is the way it is, that that these troublesome situations really can serve, and our response to those can serve as a barometer for whether our values line up more with the world's values or with God's values. So worry is worldly. But I think we have a very important question here of, okay, what is the cure to worry, then? We, we've outlined three reasons why worry is not good. It's not healthy. It, it doesn't draw us closer to God. But what's the cure? I think there's a temptation when we see something like this to think, well, okay, I just need to work harder. I just need to, to try not to worry. I mean, there's the classic children's book that says, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And then that little engine that could accomplishes something great through his, his positive thinking and his sheer willpower We have to recognize willpower can get us a lot of decent things here in this world. But working hard and willpower can never cure anxiety and worry. If anything, if we are trying to exert our willpower in order to get rid of our worries, what ends up happening is that we may compound the problem because through our willpower and our hard work, we're trying to manipulate circumstances even more in order to worry less but instead we end up worrying more because we realize all the more that we are not in control and this can be incredibly troublesome and lead to more worry and more anxiety. So what is the answer? Well, the answer that Jesus points to here is the fourth and ultimate reason for why we shouldn't worry is that God is trustworthy. God is completely, 100%, unfailingly trustworthy. Therefore, rather than worrying, our call is to trust God. Our call is to trust God. Jesus here in this passage is really building a case for God's trustworthiness. One of the big things he does through this passage is create an argument. That it goes from lesser to greater. I mean, it's a, if you ever take a logic class, you will learn about these types of arguments. From lesser to greater, he points out the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And he says, look, God takes care of the birds and the flowers, these lesser parts of God's creation. And if God takes care of them, how much more will he take care of you, humans, the apple of his eye, the the, the humans who are made in God's own image? If he cares for the lesser things, how much more will he care for the greater things? That is the argument that Jesus is building here. And it shows that God cares for us very, very deeply. That helps us to build trust in him, to see his care for us. Another passage that I think really helps illustrate this, it's, it's kind of like this argument from lesser to greater, but it really turns it on its head. This is Romans eight thirty-one and 32. Romans 8 is one of the most beautiful and powerful and rich passages in all of Scripture that talks about what God has done for us through Christ. In verses 31 and 32, Paul writes... What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So it's really turning that argument from lesser to greater on its head. And not only does God um, care for the little things, so therefore he'll care for the, the important things like humans, but we see in his love that he took care of our greatest need, meaning sin, through Christ, he sacrificed his own son, will he not also care for our lesser needs as well? If he cares for the greater need, he will certainly take care of those other things as well. So God cares for us very, very deeply. And I think that we would all do well to intentionally reflect on God's faithfulness and care that we have seen in our lives as well as that we see in Scripture one of the things that really has helped me is just looking back at my life and identifying those signposts in my life that I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was faithful here. And that can help me through the storms of life because I can look back and say, you know what? God was faithful there. He is faithful in this circumstance as well. And now when I'm looking at this storm that I'm currently facing, I can trust that God is going to be faithful here as well, even though I don't see the way out right now, but God is still faithful. So we would do very well to intentionally reflect and all the ways that we have seen God's care and his faithfulness in our lives, as well as down through human history, especially as recorded in Scripture. So we can trust God because he cares for us deeply, and we can also trust God because he is a good and a sovereign Father. You note throughout this passage how Jesus refers to God, not just in some generic sense, he refers to God specifically as our heavenly father. And he shows that God is a good and a sovereign father, meaning that he is in control, that nothing is outside of, um, of his ability to not only know about, but really to oversee. Nothing is going to catch him by surprise. And this picture of God as our father pictures us as his children. Anyone who's placed their faith in Christ comes into God's family as one of God's children. And when we look at God as our Father, we can see, you know what? We don't have to fear anything. You think about human parents and children. If you have parents who are reasonably responsible, the children really just don't worry that much because they assume that they can trust their parents. And again, if the parents are reasonably responsible, that assumption is accurate and it's safe. I mean, you think about children in a a normal home. Children aren't really given to worrying about how we're going to pay for the mortgage. Children aren't really that worried about, okay, how's mom going to work out this this difficult situation at work? Children aren't really worried about how are we going to pay for the athletic fees. They aren't worried about where is the food going to come from for supper tonight. Children don't worry about these things because they have this inherent trust that their parents are going to take care of all these things. Again, children in a reasonably normal, healthy household don't really worry all that much. And it's the same for us that when we look at God, who is so much more supreme than any, even the best human parent, God cares for us. We don't need to worry because he is trustworthy. And as it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, he is working everything for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. He is trustworthy. So in verse 33, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This reference to all these things is referencing all these things that we are probably going to be tempted to worry about. Jesus is saying, you know what? You don't need to worry about those things because God knows you need them, and he will take care of your needs. So he says, seek God. Seek his kingdom. Allow him to rule in and through you. Submit and surrender your plans to him because he is trustworthy. That's that's a big part of what it means to seek his kingdom, is to seek to allow him to rule in our lives rather than us trying to take the driver's seat for ourselves. Now it says, seek first his kingdom. This is a contrast to the pagans the verse before because it said the pagans ran after all these things it says that we should seek god's kingdom in the original language it's essentially the same word both times for running and for seeking although the, the word for running is just a variation that is stronger i think it refers to how frantic and frenetic we can become if we aren't trusting god as we're seeking out our worries and, and trying to fulfill those things but Jesus is saying, don't seek after those things. Don't consume yourself with these worries. Instead, instead, devote yourself to single-minded devotion of following God. So the secret to releasing anxiety and worry is trusting God. Now let me point to a couple other passages that, that illustrate this. One is out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It says, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It shows, again, God's tremendous care for us and says, cast all of our anxiety on him because he cares for you. Let me give you another visual illustration of what this means. So what this means, as we cast all of our anxiety on him because he cares for us, is that we take all these worries off the pedestal that we have put them on. Instead, we cast them on God. We put him at the foot of the cross and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. We surrender to him, but we can do that joyfully and confidently because he is a sovereign, loving, good heavenly father who is completely trustworthy. I think also of Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 that says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So again, it's a command. Don't be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, through prayer, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's like submitting our worries to him. As we do that, as we let them go to him, then he will guard us with his peace that transcends all understanding. So what that means is we are going through storms of life and and people, especially non-Christians, are looking at us. If we are able to live with this peace that transcends all understanding, people wonder, where does that come from? And we can point back to our trustworthy God and how we can depend on him, even though the circumstances may not make that much sense at the time. And when we are fully surrendered to Christ and to his work in our life, and we're experiencing that peace, it's really a beautiful picture. I think, for instance, of, of a couple, and now it's a family, that, that some of you might recognize, Paul and Tabitha Sargent. Uh, they were here back on November 2nd, 4th and Sunday. Uh, they were right up here sharing about their adoption journey. They, they shared about how they had just come to Christ a couple of years ago. One of the big seeds that God used in that process of bringing them to Christ was our Forever Families Adoption 101 workshop back in 2011. And they were here because they had received a Forever Families Adoption Grant, and they were preparing for not one but two adoptions. They, they were very surprised about it. The night before they were here, they shared about how, you know, we got a call last night about how now we have a second child who's going to be coming into our family as well, and they're going to be born just a couple of weeks apart here in January. That picture up there is of the court hearing for the first one with the birth mother. Uh, you see, it's kind of cool that Tabitha is wearing a Forever Families t-shirt to the court hearing. But the second adoption of this child who I think has just been born in the last week or so it's been a bit more challenging. There are a lot more uncertainties, but it's been really neat just to communicate with Paul and Tabitha through this whole process about the peace that they have in it, their trust in God's plan through it. Let me read to you something that they wrote just, just about 10 days ago. They said, baby number two will be coming this weekend. That means last weekend. It is a very complicated situation, and at this point we don't know how it will turn out. However, we are in complete trust of the Lord's plan now more than ever. Please tell everyone thank you for their thoughts and prayers. They are working. So as a prospective adoptive parent, this could be something that could be a source of significant anxiety, of the uncertainty of not knowing how is the adoption going to work out here. But they're saying, you know what? We have peace because we trust in God's plan. And this is what it looks like. It's a beautiful picture. Yes, we care about this child. Yes, we want the child to be in a good, loving, godly home. But we have to trust God through this because worry isn't going to help the situation at all. Now, as we're talking about all these things, about trusting God, about how um, life is much bigger than the worries and the difficult circumstances we have, I think it's important to acknowledge that there are many people who face very difficult circumstances. I know many of you are. I know that we are. And I don't want to be trite about these difficult circumstances that we face. I mean, there are so many things that I look around this world that break my heart. I mean, my heart breaks when I look over in the Middle East and see all the people who are suffering at the hands of ISIS. My heart breaks when I look at the orphan crisis around the world. And my heart breaks, too, at how orphans who are adopted into families many times are still dealing with deep challenges as a result of early childhood trauma. My heart breaks when I see young parents pass away. My heart breaks when I see young children who are dealing with severe medical issues. Last week, I finished a book on the Rwandan genocide back in 1994. And it's really hard for me to even fathom how something like that could even take place. There are so many difficult circumstances in this world that just can make our hearts break. And I think it's important that we don't minimize those or try to sweep them under the rug or retry about them. Because they are really, really hard. But one of the things when we look into Scripture is that Scripture does not flinch in the, in the sight of of difficult circumstances. And Scripture doesn't try to sweep them under the rug. I mean, I think, for instance, of Jesus, how he wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. I think of Jesus in the Old Testament prophets about how they grieve so deeply over the hard-heartedness of people. I think of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when he says, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches... When we look in the Scripture, we see that there is a seriousness and a weight that comes with the challenges of this broken world, but there is not a defeatist mentality, that we can still trust God because He is still sovereign, that He is still loving, that He is still working out His perfect plan. So Christians can look squarely in the face of the most difficult circumstances, uh, of the confusing realities of this broken world, and confidently declare that sin and death have already been defeated through Jesus Christ. Jesus has won the victory, and one day through faith in him, we will stand in victory with him in the fullness of joy. And between this day and that, we can cling to him through whatever comes our way because we can continue to know that he is trustworthy. Now, in my family, when we go swimming, at least over the last few years, there has been a very uh, common theme in our swimming. The common theme is that I am in the pool with water about up to here, and my son is standing on the side of the pool ready to jump in. Now, even though he has flotation devices on, he's still scared to jump in. And so the the scenario that keeps playing out over and over, probably hundreds of times through the last few years, is him saying, Dad, will you catch me? Will you catch me, Dad? Every single time my answer is yes, I will catch you. But every single time he keeps asking, will you catch me, will you catch me, will you catch me? Yes, I will, yes, I will. Because that is what a good father does. They catch their son when they jump into the pool. Now, we have a perfect heavenly father who is perfectly loving, perfectly sovereign, perfectly trustworthy. And he is fully able to take care of everything that comes our way. So we have nothing to fear or to ultimately worry about. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you that you are loving and holy. Father, I pray that you will help us to cast all of our anxieties on you, trusting and knowing that you do care for us. Lord, it is hard to do that. Because we look at the circumstances and storms of our lives, Lord, and they cause us significant concern. And there truly are a lot of things that are troublesome in this world. But Lord, we trust that you are in control. And I pray that you will help us to release all of our anxieties to you and seek the heavenly treasures, not just the earthly things that we think would be nice. Father, now as we bring back to you a portion of the resources that you've entrusted to us, we bring them to you as stewards and pray that you will use these finances to spread the good news of Jesus Christ around this community and around the world so that more and more people can experience the hope and the faith that comes through Christ, knowing Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.